I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. <laughs> and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema, I guess. Yeah. Um, if you're not familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of June 2022, and we are in the midst of our VHS cover art event month. Uh, so the basic theme here that we're going with is that uh, we're selecting all the movies we're going to be reviewing this month uh, based on memories of the VHS box art uh, that we, we happened upon at some point in our lifetime, probably during the VHS era of cinema. Uh, so last week I had the pick, and I went with uh, The Deadly Spawn, uh, which has at least three different official titles, but uh, The Deadly Spawn from 1983, which I think has a pretty awesome painted cover. Uh, it's a really badass image of a multi-headed, like, toothed alien creature on a hilltop. Uh, but Kyle, uh, this week, uh, had the pick, and as evidenced by that, uh, that very apparent sigh uh, to begin our episode, that very audible uh, sign of disdain, um, Kyle, uh, would you care to let the folks at home know uh, what you selected this week and uh, what your general feelings on it are, I guess? Uh, this is the Enron scandal of uh, VHS covers. Uh, they really promised this. They really promised you something they did not deliver. Uh, this is Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday from 1993. Uh, director Adam Marcus, who I know you haven't heard of. No one has ever heard of him because of this movie. Uh, yeah, this movie, it's not even a movie, Trevor. Like, this is this is an assortment of things that they shot, and then they literally just, like, put it in the Yahtzee jar and threw it onto the screen, and like, it's a movie! It's it's pretty bad. This might be the worst thing I've ever watched. Wow. Uh, what's the opposite of, that's high praise? <laughs> that is one big pile of shit? Stop shooting me! <laughs> stop! Stop! He's already dead. He's already dead. Yeah, I think that's the opposite. Okay, he's well, already dead. Yeah. He's already dead. Um, yeah, uh, Kyle. Kyle just uh, summed it up for me uh, before we started recording. Like, this is not a movie. Is is what he he referred to this as? Yeah. Um, Jason goes to hell. Colon the final Friday, aka Friday the Thirteenth, Part Nine. Although uh, due to uh, some some shenanigans uh, involving rights issues and whatnots. So this could not actually be titled Friday the Thirteenth, but mm-hmm. um, I guess before we get into uh, whatever the fuck this discussion is going to be, um, we should start off with the cover itself, Kyle. So uh, you were, of course, um, compelled to pick this solely on the strength of its cover art. Now, you care to explain where that comes from? Yeah, I grew up in a a strict uh, religious household, and this is one of those covers that I saw as a child. I'm looking at it right now on your your computer screen, that I saw, and I'm like, there is no way they would ever let me rent that, but I want to see that movie so bad because it looks super scary. I don't even know. I don't even know what to expect with that thing, but it looks intense, whatever's happening. Uh, so that that was what drew me to this cover for the most part. And how old would you say you were when you first happened upon it? Uh, like seeing it, I had to have been about four or five. Damn. It was at the, it was at the mom, mom and pop uh, video rental store, uh, you know, right over there with uh, Man's Best Friend was the other one. That was I almost picked that one. I should have picked that one. <laughs> you should have. One. You absolutely should have. Full <laughs> disclosure: Trevor did warn me. He's like, I don't think you're gonna like this one very much, but. I don't think you re- your warning was inadequate because you didn't realize how much you didn't like this movie. Yeah, you're, Kyle's absolutely right. Um, 
I don't care much for this movie. In fact, I even like diehard fans of this franchise. It seems like aren't huge fans of it. But I was I was shocked mm. uh, upon rewatching it very recently, just the other day. That uh, wow, it's even worse than I remember. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, was, I was baffled. I was like, wow, I didn't, I did, I undersold how bad this was to Kyle. Poor guy. Yeah. He had no fucking clue what he was getting into. Um, but yeah, I, I too have very similar memories of walking the aisles of our, our not a mom and pop shop, uh, just a basic blockbuster, uh, and happening upon this cover. Uh, it really is eye catching. It's pretty well put together from a compositional standpoint. I mean, for you being raised in a religious household, it's like we got a hell worm, we got fire, we have the word, word hell, hell yeah. on the cover. It's like, yeah. This is titillating. <laughs> it's titillating, <laughs> to say the least. So it's like we are checking. All the boxes. All yep. we need is a Power Ranger in the corner or some shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, w- that would have been over the top, though. Um, but yeah, this is very much a striking cover. I can see why you would go with this one. I was a little bit wary of it, not because, not just because I'd already seen it, but also just the fact that it's, it's part of such a wide-spanning franchise that um, if you've listened to the show before, uh, folks at home, you're probably aware that um, while Kyle between the two of us happens to be more of the horror aficionado or connoisseur between the two of us, um, when it comes to slashers, um, actually that's more my my thing than Kyle. Are we putting Jason under slasher? Because he's a little bit different. I think the traditional slasher, I always picture Michael Myers. That's the traditional slasher. Jason is way more creative with his kills. Now, I have seen quite a few of these. I have seen a few of these. Um, I don't remember which ones are which. Um... But I, I feel like Jason is a little bit above slasher. Well, that's actually part of the side effect of having something that, that's this long in the tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, is that you could almost argue that the Friday the 13th films have carved out their own subgenre. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, there's there's like the, the broadest of umbrella, umbrella terms in the form of slasher. But then within that, there's all these subcategories of slasher. But then, like, the Friday the 13th films have almost, like, a very clear identity unto themselves. Um, I don't exactly know the criteria for, like, a very specifically a slasher film. Um, but the brand is very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Like, aside from a couple of deviations here and there, this fucking film in particular, uh, it has remained fairly consistent in its identity. My own ignorance to how this fr- like this franchise is deep. I think James Bond is the only thing with more movies than this franchise. I didn't realize, but my logic in picking this was this came before Jason X, and I have seen Jason X, which is not great, but it is watchable and it is enjoyable to a degree. So I'm like, this came before. So generally speaking, earlier iterations of the franchise tend to be a little bit better than the later ones. So I'm like, well, if I enjoyed Jason X somewhat. I'm for sure going to get something out of this. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, you just happened to pick very much the black sheep of the family. Yeah. Um, because, like, say what you will about the Friday the 13th films. I mean, none of them are going to be, you know, regarded as high art or anything like that. But, you <laughs> no. know, on a, like, kind of like a primeval level, I do actually find them largely entertaining for mm-hmm. the most part. I actually do enjoy watching a lot of them. Um, only difference is this one kind of tries to reinvent the wheel and break the formula a little bit and as a result 
made basically nobody happy in the process. <laughs> um, so honestly, I feel like you could have just like arbitrarily picked any other Friday the 13th movie, and we probably would have had a better time. Even Jason Takes Manhattan. If we weren't on a scheduling constraint this week, I was like about to finish the movie. Just like, let's do a different one. But we kind of didn't have time to do that this week. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up Man's Best Friend, actually, because like I was scanning my memory... Um, for potential other picks and whatnot. And I, I came to that as well. Oof. Um, I've seen it, actually. So, actually, like, we're we're on a streak here. I, I have yet to introduce a film this, this month that I haven't seen prior to the show. Um, hopefully we'll get to that eventually. Um, but yeah, Man's Best Friend, like, thinking about that made me think, like, maybe should dedicate some time to like the runner-ups or something just like other other covers that could have made episodes i think i'm going to heed your warning with my other choice <laughs> and i think i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and just do it now well let's do man's best friend for my other choice that you way you sure about that one? i think it is it going to be better than the one i chose well how about you share it with the folks at home so my other choice was uh night at night of the demons 2 so yes, yeah, Night of the Demons 2. 2. The Dose, not yeah. Night of the Demons 2. <laughs> Very specifically 2. First, I guess that's the cover that Kyle remembers better than the first one, yeah. or, he, or he connected with on some level. It's a demon eating, like, it looks like a skull skull sucker almost. Yeah, she got like a lollipop that yeah. looks kind of like a skull. And I was like, oh, that looks... That looks crazy. Because it looked like a, like a horror comedy almost. Yeah. I'm like, what is that? I don't even know what that is, but I really want to watch it. But Man's Best Friend was right there with it, too, because it's a, a guy pointing a, a gun with a laser on it towards a dog on the it's front. It's Lance Hendrickson. It's Lan, Lance Hendrickson, yeah. So I'm like, ha! Huh. Well, also, that introduces like a, an entirely separate subject that could make for an entire month unto itself. It covers that lie. Cover that lie. This would definitely go This one on. lies. Yeah. This, this cover straight up lies. There is no metallic Jason mask. There is no metallic hockey mask in the film. There, are, there is fire. Uh, he does technically go to hell. Um, you know, you don't see it, but yeah. he gets, you know, pulled underground. So I guess that's on the way to hell or China or, or the cores. The, the core, yeah. <laughs> uh, where Aaron Eckhart is and, screaming somewhere. <laughs> yeah, where Aaron Eckhart and Hillary <sighs> Swank are driving around in RV, um, trying to save the world, and uh, this hellworm creature that uh, is probably the most like that thing in the whole cover. Um, it does show up in the movie. It doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like this, but there is a serpentine thing that yeah, shows up. Yeah, but it's up. got arms and shit. This, I, yeah. this is a fucking hellworm. It looks worm. like the monster from King Kong. Like, fetch me my hellworm, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Hashtag bring me my hellworm. <laughs> Where's my hellworm? It was lied to. <laughs> but yeah, covers that lie. That would be a separate subject because uh, Man's Best Friend, that cover is straight up like 50% lies. <laughs> that is not a robot or cyborg dog. That is, that is not true. That does not happen in that movie. Anyway, uh, we're delaying the inevitable. Um, do you do you care to like go into a little bit of background about the franchise? Like, do, do you think we already covered that? Like, do you have any particular affinity for the Friday the Thirteenth series? I I haven't. I've seen like I said, like the first three movies kind of blend together for me. I remember watching the first one and thinking, this is not what I was expecting. I watched the second one, I'm like, is he wearing a fucking burlap sack? It's not until the third one, I think, until he dons the hockey mask. Yeah. Um, so I think I've, yeah, I've seen those three, and then I've seen the 2009 remake, which isn't bad at all. It's it's not too bad. A gratuitous sex scene. Uh, <laughs> even for this franchise. Well, it's, it's, what was it, a Platinum Dunes production? Yeah. Michael, oh, yeah. Bay, Michael Bay paid for it, so you better you better believe he's getting his money. Yeah, two Abercrombie models just drive fucking each other. Uh, one dude's bone structure is upsetting. It's yeah. like, he looks like 
a fake person. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. looks like his his name should be Chad. In fact, his name actually is Chad. To quote one I of the, think. <laughs> to quote one of the guys, I think it's from The Rock Stars. It's like Abercrombie's making people now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah. you look at him, it's like, what the fuck is with your face? You have no other job. You have no other job opportunity except for to be an Abercrombie it's model. Like you look dude. like a person in a video game from South Korea. Like, <laughs> <laughs> your dad. He calls his dad Daddy for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I've seen, like I said, Jason X, which I thought was kind of fun. It was, it was a silly movie. Um, but I think I think other than this one, I think that was all that I've seen of this franchise. And I didn't see any of these until I was at least in high school. Same here, actually. Yeah. Uh, I didn't I didn't watch any of these until I was roughly in my college years. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I, I spent a lot of time on like Bloody Disgusting and uh, other horror-associated websites around that time. And I just got curious because I, I, I guess I had those memories in my head of seeing the cover art and, you know, just absorbing things through cultural osmosis over the years because, you know, slasher movie characters were like, you didn't have to see the movies to know who they were. In fact, I remember a, a funny uh, summer with my very, very, very young cousins who were obsessed with uh, Freddy versus Jason. Oh. Oh, I've seen Freddy versus Jason. Obviously, I've seen Freddy versus Jason. I mean, how yeah. could you not? You could not. <laughs> it was impossible not to. But anyway, my, my cousins were really, really, really young. And uh, it just so happens that one of our aunts, uh, she uh, works in, like, the theater industry. So she would get, like, promos and stuff. So, like, cardboard standees and, like, and, like coasters and pins and stuff. And they, like begged her for like a freddy versus jason like poster or some shit and i was like are you even allowed to see that movie and of course they weren't of course not. but but they knew about it they knew both those characters and they knew everything about them because these kids were raised on the fucking internet <laughs> so like i got to the party late but you know i i came around and around my college years i i just basically watched all the major slasher movies for some fucking reason uh and that included the friday the 13th series i've seen all of them uh, I like, I enjoy most of them. Uh, even even some of the less well liked ones, I, I still find something in there, usually involving the effects work or the presence of Kane Hodder or something. Um, but yeah, for me, um, I wouldn't call myself a fan, uh, but my ears do perk up whenever whenever these franchises, be they Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street. Whenever, whenever news comes about about like a new entry in the series comes around, I, I do actually pay attention. I think Halloween has got a better track record at this point. I think of the, those early slashers. I think that they've pro- that's probably been the best franchise out of this. I would argue that the lows in Halloween are probably lower. Like they feel lower just because the, the highs are higher. Well, David like, Gordon like, Green is very, fairly new. Uh, <laughs> but, like, Friday the 13th is more consistent. Where it's okay. like, that's part of the appeal in my mind, is that okay. they're, they're they're very cozy. Like, you only have to half pay attention to them. Whereas, like, Halloween went to, like... Four great, and five, just, yeah. Well, they went to, like, great lengths to have, like, lore. And, like, like, have, like... Oh, lore. dude, I'm completely forgetting about the later... Like, the ones where Jamie Lee Curtis came back. Yeah. Yes. I forgot and, about those. And, you know, Busta Rhymes and... and you know how many fucking times is Doctor Loomis going to come back from the dead? And like, how many movies are we going to make when Donald Pleasance isn't even alive alive to finish them? <laughs> like, Touché. I mean, I mean that was only one movie. I'm I'm exaggerating, but the point is they they tried a little too hard to like make it like a a wide spanning like deep lore and stuff. Whereas this one, actually, it was only really this movie that tried to make things any deeper than than they were from like the second movie onward. 
Mm. It's like the whole thing with the family business and stuff. That was all just isolated to this movie. That is not what Jason's about. Jason is dirt simple. Jason's a fucking shark. He doesn't even talk. Yeah. Well, and Freddy versus Jason actually kind of got it in terms of characterization. He's a big dumb dog that doesn't know when to stop eating. Freddy versus Jason compared to this film is like Casablanca. <laughs> Freddy versus J- I defend that movie. I actually really enjoy that. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. It, it's well executed. It's well shot. All the characterizations are, are pretty well put together. Robert Englund showed the fuck up. Mm-hmm. He gave his hammy best. And, you know, in terms of, like, the, the, the throwdown, the titular Freddy versus Jason sequence, it's pretty good. Yeah. It doesn't let you down that bad. Although, you know, a lot of people were really sour that we didn't get Kate Harder for that. Although, there was some just there was some justification for that. It was just, like, from a, like, on a basic fundamental level, like... In wrestling booking terms or something, we want one guy to be huge and one guy to be small. Mm-hmm. And Robert Englund is kind of tall. He's like five ten, five eleven maybe. So he's not minuscule by any means. And Kane Hodder, while very big, he's not too tall though. Yeah, he he's a. He, I mean, I'm sure you touch him and he's like built from oak or yeah. some shit. But he's not like a looming gigantic tall presence. I noticed that in this movie where he's playing the security guard and I'm like, he's that I figured he'd be much bigger. Yeah, occasionally in his performances there are instances where it's like you gotta be careful with those angles, otherwise it's gonna look like one of the extras mm-hmm. is is eye to eye with him and you never want that with Jason. Jason should be the biggest guy in the room. Did you see where uh Arsenio Hall has him yes. on that is that is brilliant yeah, yeah. That, that was Kane Hodder that was, it, Kane. that was actually Kane Hodder that was really and good he, he's known for taking it very very seriously and just the, the head turns like mm-hmm. damn <laughs> like, like that's intimidating it's like it's like I know he's just an actor I know he's just giving a performance but he just the combination of the the heavy breathing and the shoulder mm-hmm. movements and the head turns it's like I don't know man this, this guy could snap <laughs> I'm going to have to cleanse the palate with a different Friday the 13th, so when I leave here, I'm going to need you to give me a good recommendation on which one I should follow up to cleanse the palate with this one. <laughs> okay, I'll try my best. Okay. But, but yeah, uh, there's a little bit to say about how we got to Jason Goes to Hell in terms of like how the franchise found its way here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of shocking. They're, it's not that deep. <laughs> like, like, really, like you can do some digging. You won't find a whole lot. Like As Kyle said, our director, Adam Marcus... Who you will ne- you will not know who that is because he really hasn't done a whole lot. He has, he's been involved in the film industry for a very long time, but in terms of directing credit, he has like two or three. If he had been if he had been hired to do a Disney or some kind of Marvel movie, and he had put in this kind of effort, I think he might be shot after <laughs> after it came out. I don't know, man. Like, like, well, yeah. That, I'm curious what what it's like to direct for those places these days because like they're starting to change their tune a little bit now that Doctor Strange 2 did very very well mm. like in the hands of Sam Raimi who normally you hire him to to do a like to put his spin on something rather than just be a hired gun yeah uh, so that may be changing but we'll, we'll see anyway yeah. uh, this Adam Marcus fell it's funny you brought up Disney though um, apparently that was supposed to be his first gig fresh out of film school oh really it was a film called uh, my boyfriend is back. I think it's like a zombie boyfriend movie. It's apparently a Disney production. I've never seen it. I've heard of it, but um, but they didn't want a first-time director. However, New Line Cinema, who produced this film, uh, Jason Goes to Hell, uh, snatched him up. Twenty-three years old. 
Oh. Fresh out of fucking film school. Man. Yeah. And it kind of shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because uh, this this does kind of feel like a person that's a little bit out of their depth. Uh, and out of may- your element, yeah. <laughs> and maybe a little bit lacking in focus, to say the least. <laughs> um, but yeah, 23 years old, fresh out of fucking film school, and apparently the plan... Uh, was uh, masterminded by Sean S. Cunningham, who is kind of the uh, the guy who gave birth to the franchise in a lot of ways. He was the director of the first Friday the 13th film, okay. as well as producers on most of, if not all, the other ones going forward. Um, also, funny enough, he's, his, uh, his path in the film industry is directly connected to Wes Craven. Uh, he produced The Last House on the Left, yeah, okay. uh, which Craven directed. Um, anyway... Uh, Sean S. Cunningham wanted to make Freddy vs. Jason in the early 90s. Um, and he actually got that process rolling on a like a producer's level, um, which kind of resulted in New Line gobbling up the rights to, to Jason Voorhees, who normally is a Paramount property. So this movie is a New Line film. It's not a Paramount film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was actually part of the, the process of green lighting freddy versus jason was he was courting the he was courting the producers and the distributors and whatnot everything seemed to be going well obviously it wouldn't happen for another decade um but when they hit speed bumps uh, they ended up making this movie and they put adam marcus in at the helm and uh yeah he was way out of his depth and uh apparently numerous scripts were just tossed around at this point um and what we got was probably the result of just like a last minute slap it together uh, <laughs> like kind of shit show yeah um so from a scripting standpoint they had basically nothing uh, in fact some of the actors like some of the main actors in the film uh, have gone on record in interviews basically saying like i couldn't make sense of it on the page i just showed up to work and was shocked that it actually became a movie which Car- kyle argues didn't actually happen it didn't actually happen <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, we're not going to be going front to back on this one, uh, because as Kyle has pointed out, uh, he it, this movie is vexing to him. He, it it hurt him on some level. I'm, I'm, I could see it on his face. Yeah, because I guess we could talk about it in like acts almost. Like if we wanted to break it down between three things, it's like we turn it on its head at the beginning, and. Uh, by doing like a meta thing, like the intro scene is a meta thing, and then we flip the franchise on its head, or flip it over because but Jason's not even in the movie really. Like he bookends the movie barely, barely, barely. Uh, and then we have the end scene at the house, more or less. Like it's, we just it's it's dicking around in the middle part, and then we have the end scene at the house. It's kind of a shame too because before we get to the house, the movie for about 15, 20 minutes is just Terminator more or less and and it's actually it actually has some momentum like it actually kind of moves for a bit there like nothing important on a character or a plot level is happening it's just there's energy to it so like you're kind of engaged and there's fun makeup effects and whatnot but we fart around so much and there's so many conclusions that are left to early on that's just like i don't know how anybody knows i don't know how any of these characters relate to each other nor do i know how they know what they know the internal logic of the film is very difficult to to keep up with, and it, more importantly, it's very difficult to care about, mm-hmm. especially considering how much dialogue there is in this movie. <laughs> and like no, mu- there's only one song, like only one song or one noise used for the music in this movie. 
Well, and I hate to say it, but it's not good. Um, with, it's was the opening credits driving you insane? Was it like yes. nails on a chart? I, I was watching it. I'm like, I'm glad this is happening to Trevor right now because I've definitely had movies where we've watched where I'm just like, this is I can't even deal with this right now. No, I had to get up and walk around. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I didn't pause the movie. I just had to get up and walk around. <laughs> well, I do. Want, I just. I do. I don't want to go through the whole movie, but I do want to talk about the opening scene because I was kind of like going in. I'm like, well, where are they going to go from here? Um, we get the classic, like, you know, kind of uh, startup, or the classic arc of these movies, from what I've gathered, is people go to Camp Crystal Lake, they go to the cabin, and they never return. So we're getting that set up with a young lady going to the cabin, she's going around, and we're doing that Scream 5 thing, that thing where it's like, we keep putting the camera in places where she's like, closing the medicine cabinet, and she's like, going into the shed, stuff like that. Uh, but... <laughs> She ends up getting naked, which, again, you have to have in this franchise. Uh, but they end up... It's a trap to catch him. Yes. So, was he... Had he began, at this point in these movies, had he become... Like, people knew who he was? And had that happened in the franchise at this point? So, I want to say that, like, the, the idea at work here is actually... I mean, the parallels between this franchise and A Nightmare on Elm Street are obvious in, mm. in that they both converged at one point but this movie <laughs> yeah this movie specifically yeah um but what, I, what i'm getting at there is that both franchises had kind of like a a very loose timeline to them okay so they both have a very concrete beginning point and then like time kind of distorts a little bit as we move through the sequels but i uh, i think a lot of those sequels are actually supposed to be quote canon where I think this movie takes place in roughly 1993, so Jason has been killing people at Crystal Lake for quite some time. Okay. Very similar to the, the Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. franchise, where uh, at one point, Freddy runs out of kids on Elm Street. <laughs> like, no joke, that <laughs> That's happened. Funny. That's the plot of one of the movies. He's like, fuck, I killed all killed the kids. All the kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the point is, he has been a constant threat, um, such that the Crystal Lake camp has been closed down for quite some time. I think that happens multiple times in the series. But yeah, he's supposed to be like an active serial killer for a very long time. Okay, so yeah, so basically this whole thing is just a trap. And yes. he ends up running outside and the, he ends up being circled. And this is where I was like, what? What is happening? <laughs> he ends up getting circled by all these cops and they just unload on him. And I think they explode him, basically. Yeah, this is the same SWAT team from Die Hard, by the way. Uh, it's the same thing, yeah. I thought the exact same thing. They've all, they've all got shitty baseball caps on, black pajamas. Yeah, it's in the they car. They brought their repelling gear for some reason. No. It's kind of funny, but I'm just, I was thinking about being a, a huge fan of this franchise, and I don't know if Fangoria covered anything about this that those nerds read about, but they went into this movie like, oh man, Jason goes to hell, you get that cover, and then you get to the theater, and this happens. Those nerds, I feel like those nerds must have walked out. Oh, I'm sure people like hopped out of their seat and said, what no, the fuck? No! <laughs> like a child, just, no! <laughs> it's like when Optimus Prime goes down, just, no! <laughs> like, that's my guy! <laughs> I just the the decision, especially at that time, is like, what were you thinking? Like trying to do that? It it. Well, see, one thing I kind of wish I had done before this discussion was pulled up a trailer, uh, for for this movie to see how it was actually marketed. Because all I know is the the cover art. Um, I've never actually seen. I was alive in '93, obviously, but I don't remember seeing like TV commercials for this one. Um, but I'm curious how it was marketed because the phrase "Jason goes to hell." 
could be interpreted many different ways. Because remember, by this point, this is nine movies deep. Like, mm-hmm. people are paying We're good... in it, yeah. We have had exactly one... Well, two movies where Jason wasn't the killer. The first one, where he wasn't even invented really yet as a slasher villain anyway. He was just a victim. Uh, and then the fifth one, where it was an imposter Jason. Which is kind of funny, because, like... I don't know. I don't know that that one pissed off a lot of people in the same way that this one kind of did, where it, it subverts your ex- it doesn't subvert your expectations, but it just pulls the rug shits out on you. Yeah, yeah. It's just like ah, it's like it's not Jason, but the kills in that one are like exceptionally good. It's like oh man, so you mean that imposter guy was way more creative than Jason? What the fuck? Uh, let's we don't have to leave this in the recording, but we can oh. watch it real quick. Oh, Kyle wants to watch the trailer. We'll watch it real quick. We'll, we'll be back in a moment. Jason goes to hell the final Friday. that's clever marketing yeah because they just took all the cool looking shots and strung it together in such a way to disguise what i mean actually if you've seen the movie all the all the narration there i mean again that's maybe they're covering their ass from a legal standpoint everything said there is accurate mm-hmm. it's just you wouldn't understand the meaning in its entirety until you've seen the movie mm-hmm. could you say that again just like you said it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that trailer was not what we got. Well, we literally did get what that trailer showed us, but we did not get the movie that we kind of thought we might get out of that because it doesn't really tell you what the movie is exactly. I mean, but, like, remember, like, around this time, there were also, like, rumblings about, like, a Hellraiser, like, crossover with Ugh. Friday the 13th. Evil Dead actually does. Oh, I saw that. Does have a reference. Um, I, I want to say they actually did a comic book crossover with Friday the Thirteenth and probably a Nightmare on Elm Street, like all three of them. Um, but yeah, know. like like Jason goes to hell. It's like in in one interpretation, I could totally see like Jason does go to hell, but then he like comes back or he like gets better or something. Where it's like he goes down there and like Satan or somebody's like, whoa, you're no. too evil for this, dude. <laughs> it's like you reek, buddy. I don't know if, if uh, I don't know if Sam Raimi's ever told someone to eat his ass, but I'm pretty sure they're like, hey, do you want to put these two together? That was the time. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 it's a very uh, I don't know cute reference here, but it's un, it's unwarranted and it's it's it draws too much attention to itself. Yeah. It's obnoxious. And it's a completely different kind of franchise. Yeah, no, and and I hate to say it, but like Friday Thirteenth movies aren't made with the budget range or the the level of creative ambition that evil dead movies are mm-hmm. so it's like just don't yeah. like, just don't don't, touch. don't don't touch it yeah, yeah just don't don't pretend that your movie is aiming for the same things that those movies were because they absolutely are not we have to open we have to talk about these open this opening credit sequence yeah, just, just yeah so folks folks like the way the opening credits are strung together here by the way this this shitty swat team brought artillery or something mm-hmm. uh because we get like a like a B fifty two yeah explosion. Apparently, somebody brought artillery or a mortar or something that isn't seen. But yeah, Jason gets blowed up. Um, I thought he was just gonna put himself back together, like the T one thousand. Oh, yeah. That's the, that's the monster from Little Monsters. I gotta put myself back together. Oh, oh that, that movie's terrifying. It's yeah. As I'd a like child, to, that movie really scared me. I'd like to cover that movie someday. I would. I would like to revisit that one. I should probably exercise those demons. I think Matt would probably want to jump on that. 
One of the brothers. I know my little brother would know would like to probably jump on that. Matt definitely remembers that one, and if I if I remember right, he was probably creeped out by it too. It was one of my favorite movies as a kid. It was it was genuinely creepy. Yeah, it was around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, Kyle, please explain why this is obnoxious, or, or just like put a okay. hat on it. So the opening credits are. There's a song playing over the opening credits, and you could probably. It's almost the ESPN thing. It's like. I would describe it as. And then pause. Yeah. It's for some dialogue. But the problem is, is we're not. So the problem is, is when you get this, these kind of like clips together, you're getting like. Just nobody talking. It's just like somebody doing some kind of task. Like they're taking Jason, putting him in the bag, taking him to the morgue, and you're getting these cuts. We're getting like a good 30 seconds of scenes in between these. And it's not interesting. It's just them literally taking him to the morgue, checking him, saying what's wrong with him. He's like, got an assortment of bullet wounds, which is kind of funny. Uh, who's this actor? Richard, Richard Gant. Gant. Um, Richard Gant. He's great. I, I remember him most from Rocky V. Rocky Five. Where he plays the Don King equivalent. I just watched him in a. He's playing a doctor in Friends, and he's a. He's really funny. He's in there. he's a very good actor. He's fun. And it was really cool seeing him in in this small role. The move that he makes, <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that a little bit, oh, but I just remembered what the actual music sounds like. So, like Kyle's talking, Kyle's talking, and then just, just there, as soon as there's a pause in the dialogue. Bah! Yeah. <laughs> it just keeps doing that and over we, we and keep cutting to these black slides of credits and i actually had to write it down because it's driving me nuts it's roughly 13 minutes into the film by the time the credits end it's ridiculous it it is bonkers it's like from a decision making standpoint it's like you why yeah like you couldn't just put the credits on the screen as we're like maybe just like do the do the naked gun opening Mount a camera onto the gurney and just follow it around as it's being passed between people, like uh, like during the hospital ride and stuff. <laughs> I, I was thinking Spy Hard. I'm like, really? You want you Weird Al Yankovic to do this song? <laughs> I'm like, I was thinking well, of some. End it with a claymation Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> well, his head explodes at the end of it. That's right. That's right. That's right. I, that's a that's a Naked Gun three thirty three and third. I think you've got like the plus size woman swimming under the water yeah. and farting. <laughs> <laughs> I miss those movies. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, yeah. It. I was watching it. and I'm like, I know Trevor's pissed right now watching this. Oh, it was baffling. Yeah. Because it's it's just one of those decisions that was clearly made very intentionally. The music is structured to accompany it. The edit is. Just, it has no flow to it whatsoever. And what Kyle was saying is accurate. Nothing that we're cutting back and forth between is at all interesting. Yeah. It, it's it's just a waste of my motherfucking time. Yeah, and maybe maybe there was like a runtime requirement. Uh, <laughs> no, remember yeah. that that is a thing with yeah. with films. Like you need to make sure it's a certain length, otherwise it doesn't qualify for feature length screenings, and you know theater chains get pissed and stuff. So this does clock in at eighty eight minutes. Uh, maybe five minutes of that is just the opening credits. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking. It's ridiculous. It pisses but me off. What this movie does, though, instead of having uh, Jason throughout most of the movie, this coroner... It, it, so, Jason's heart keeps beating after it's out of his chest, which, uh, you know, this is not supposed to happen. But he <laughs> you would not- think a doctor would notice that. Yeah, you think the doctor, the coroner does notice that. He's just like, huh, it's still beating. And then, what I was not expecting, 
he just starts eating it. He just he's like, huh, and just starts eating it. Takes a big old bite out of it, and what the movie does is Jason's spirit goes from person to person. Yes, and he apparently gets started off killing people by not liking being made fun of. Yeah, apparently he's sensitive. Uh, there's there's a couple of things about Jason in this that are vexing. Um, one is like. You know, I don't think Jason really cares like what people have to say. He just—it's like if he sees you, you're dead. Like, it, it, there's not much thought process that goes into it. I—I I, I don't often think of Jason's kills as being like malicious. Like, it's, it's kind of mechanical. Yeah, it, it's very utilitarian. Just kind of get it done. Yeah. And, and he's you know crazy fucking strong. And he, I mean, he does have some creativity when it comes to like the implements that he uses and stuff, but. It's never like coming from a place of like you you specifically gotta die, yeah. motherfucker. It's just like no, get it done, move on. <laughs> but um, yeah, he he's a little sensitive. I mean, I, I guess you know his origins do like in some interpretations do come from like bullying. Like, That's true. Freddy versus Jason had the idea of him like being bullied as a child on top of being drowned. Yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe that's you could interpret that as being part of his character. Um, but the other things he grunts in this movie. Mm. And apparently, uh, this director is very accustomed to having people shit on him, Adam Marcus. Um, I've, I've seen him in interviews. Like I think he, it, people tell him how they feel about his movie quite often. <laughs> he referred his therapist to Jake Lloyd. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I, I meant to tell you there has been quite a bit of uh, at least on the Reddit boards for the prequels. They are really getting. They're pushing back on uh, toxic Star Wars fans bullying these people. Yeah. I, I knew that day would come. Yeah. That's how you know you're old, Kyle. Yeah. Is, is when the prequels start getting ardent defenders. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. They're like, oh, talk to Star Wars fans making or t- bullying a kid because he didn't put in an Olivier performance as a child actor. And, like, they're they're really pushing back on that. Yeah, Which I mean, is fair. Wh- yeah, is no, fair. That, that's, that's fine. It's just the movies themselves. It's like, come on, guys. Uh, like, don't forget the, the voice actor who did Jar Jar Binks was also uh, bullied into nearly killing himself, from what I understand. Yeah. yeah. So the bullying stuff, yeah, I, of course. I, 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 you know, nobody, nobody should be backing that sort of thing. But in terms of, like, evaluating those movies, it's like, no. Like, we all saw the same shit. Yeah. Like, like trust he was me. not the he was not the problem, people. He you are bullying the wrong person. He was not the problem with those movies. I just watched episode one, and he's not the problem. No, he's a very small part of it. He's I mean, you roll your eyes when he's on screen. Of course. But it's not like he brought the whole fucking thing down. It's, mm. it's the whole movie. The story was not written by him or no, directed. He, he was by a him. child. He just wanted his Turbo Man doll. God damn it. He was directed. By a different person. By a different guy. Yeah. Yeah, a different guy who did all of those. We're not going to bully him, though. No. Uh, no. Fucking losers. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, what I was saying about the, the director. Um, yeah. His movie has been shat on many a time, but um, what I was just going to point out is that he apparently dubbed the Jason grunting noises himself. Hmm. Uh, because that was the cheapest way to do that. Um, maybe asking Kane Hodder to come into the booth. I don't know that he would have done that. Like, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know that Kane Harder would, would agree with that. He'd be like, no. I've, I can breathe for you, but I'm not going to grunt. Yeah, and even the breathing thing, that's more of a pantomime. Like, you, you don't really hear it. Like, Jason's mostly mute. Like, mm-hmm. and I prefer it that way. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it's weird to me that he gets shot and he goes, oof, ugh, arg. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it stuck out to me. It bothered me. 
Um, can we talk about Crichton Duke and what exactly his character is supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had answers. Um, I know what the director has gone on record saying the idea was. Okay. None of which is in the film, but apparently the concept was Crichton Duke uh, was supposed to have had a girlfriend at Crystal Lake who was killed by Jason. That's right, that's right. It's not in the movie. No. <laughs> None of that is in the movie. And uh, it's a little fractured because by the time you get to that final reel of the movie, um, he has like that, it's me again, Jason moment, mm-hmm. where it's like, you guys have met before? Like, the movie didn't tell me any of that. Like, apparently apparently there's history between these two. Oh, wait, he's dead. Well, there, there goes all that. There goes that entire plot thread and arguably the most engaging performance in the whole film. <laughs> he comes on screen looking like Walker, Texas Ranger, and yeah. James morphed into one person. His partner James morphed into one person. <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you clarified that. I wouldn't have known his name was James. James. <laughs> I, in all, I had to look it up because I'm like, I don't remember his name. I would call him Theo because he's Theo. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, so apparently we have somebody who is his lineage. Like, it's his cousin or sister or some shit yeah, so everything that kyle is uh, saying to you right now folks at home in a quizzical tone uh has been innovated for this film and is basically isolated to this film okay so this idea this notion of jason being in some sort of spiritual force that inhabits other bodies entirely isolated to this film and not only that the idea of him having uh, a family beyond his mother. Yeah. Um, yeah. All just isolated to this film. Uh, this is this is what I was kind of alluding to when I said the Halloween movies kind of maybe got a little overcomplicated um, and tried tried to like Fast and Furious this shit where it's like no we're going to make a single cohesive timeline for the whole thing. It's like no maybe you shouldn't do that. <laughs> it's like maybe it's going to collapse under the weight of all that shit you're stacking on top of it. All those protein farts. And whatnot. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this whole business is very similar to the the Laurie Strode and like like the later Halloween sequels with like the Cult of Thorn and shit, where it's just like just keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> like, like just just let him let him hit people with bladed instruments. Like just let that happen, please. Uh, we get a significant diner thread here where we kind of learn that I guess there's hype around Jason right now, so they're expecting people coming into the town to... Yeah, a to... town is represented by four people in a diner. Correct. Yeah, four people in a diner. Four, all of whom are employees at said diner. Crichton <laughs> uh, Duke spends most of his time in a jail cell for mouthing off to the sheriff, um, which doesn't really come... I mean, doesn't really come to much. Uh, there's a nerd, whoever this guy is. Uh, so I had to look him up. So John D. LeMay uh, plays Stephen, uh, Stephen Freeman, uh, who is our, I guess, our protagonist? I guess, yeah. I mean, he's the guy that we hang out with most of the movie. He's the guy who has the heroic story arc. Um, apparently, I mean, he's been a working actor for decades, but apparently he's, like, mostly a musical theater guy these mm-hmm. days, like a stage performer. Um, but... Uh, his main distinction in this franchise is that he was on the TV series. There's a TV series? Yeah, there was also a, a Nightmare on Elm Street TV series as well. I have no idea either one of these existed. Yeah, Freddy's Nightmares. Um, yeah, he was, I, th- I think, one of the lead actors on the TV series. Um, in fact, most of the primary actors in this film are TV actors. Mm. Um, so the the older waitress lady and uh, 
Steve Williams, who plays a uh, Creighton Duke, mm-hmm. all TV actors. He's from X. I recognized him from X Files. I think he's from Twenty One Jump Street as well. Is he the original uh, okay. TV series? Um, but yeah, this guy. I, I kept thinking he was Ted Raimi. <laughs> like I kept thinking you could have easily swapped in Ted Raimi. Um, better movie, honestly. <laughs> Ted Raimi's he's fun in Ash vs. Evil the Dead because he definitely pops up in oh, there. Oh, he's in there? Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, dude, it is a great series. It's, it's it, The first two seasons are really great. I was watching a review of that video game today. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to tell you your brother, get that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but we do get uh, we get a segue here where we get a little bit of a Friday the Thirteenth movie where uh, he the nerd picks up some pe- some people hitchhiking and they one girl's like trying to get him to come camp with them he's like nah what does he say to them he's like are you guys gonna uh, did you oh you you have it written down yeah just, <laughs> I wrote it down because that, I mean I had to do something while I was watching the movie yeah. uh, so we have uh, keyword folks meta. Uh, as we discussed in a, our Scream 5 or Scream 2022 review, uh, Kyle is not a big fan of meta commentary or meta humor in particular in his films. And uh, we have one of those moments in 1993 in this film. It's uh, smoking a little dope, having premarital sex, and getting slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And so he's like saying, What are you guys going to do at Camp Crystal Lake? And then they repeat it back to him. And that's the plan, except for the slaughtered part. Yeah. It's actually kind of cute, like especially considering it's 1993. This is before Scream, and be- mm-hmm. be- before a lot of that stuff would become in vogue. Was this um, before New Nightmare or after? I think it was a year before. Oh, really? If if memory serves, I can look it up. But okay. But um, it's actually interesting. This this whole sequence with the skinny dipping teenagers, or I don't know how old anybody in this movie is supposed to be. Why is he wearing a Letterman jacket, Kyle? That's why I called him a nerd because he's. Why in the... is he wearing a Letterman jacket? This dude's in his early thirties wearing a Letterman yeah, he's jacket. He's like thirty fucking years he's old. A, well, he's a fucking townie. He's like, yeah, he's just some townie dude. Uh, <laughs> New Nightmare came out after this. Yeah, that's what I figured. Wow. All right. Yeah, I thought it was like ninety four. Yeah, and it came out. It came out the year year after ninety four. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is where you get, but we don't even get cool Friday the Thirteenth stuff happening here. Well, what I was what I was getting at there is that. Apparently, this was mandated by the studio. Ah. The studio had to come in and say, "Hey, you have to put fr- you you want to put Friday the Thirteenth stuff in your Friday the Thirteenth movie yeah. or Final Friday movie?" <gasps> <laughs> Anybody there? <laughs> yeah, nobody was there to uh, tell the director that they really hated him. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this was actually studio mandated, and I. I can't imagine how rare that must be on a mo- <laughs> well because remember this was around the time that like censorship of these types of movies was rampant mm-hmm. like like the halloween franchise and this one in particular they've all been like butchered by the mpaa um mm. some of the best effects work in the nightmare on elm street movies cutting room floor oh they were putting in work at this time big time oh that th- some of the effects work like i i, I feel for these people they put in like screaming mad george our boy screaming mad george he put in some incredible work really cool stuff but didn't make it past the censors and that was very very normal for slasher movies was you would shoot it and hope for the best and then you'd have to keep trimming frame after frame to get it past that x rating um whereas this one yeah you're absolutely right it's like so you mean the producers had to kick your door down and say hey Put some fucking slashing in your slasher movie, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, we get the classic. We've got we've got two girls and a guy. We've got the couple, and then they're the girl's friend. Basically, she gets killed off screen, but we get to see her corpse a little bit later after she pees. 
Yeah, that happens more than once, by the way. They both pee they in the same pee. spot. I, maybe, I mean, Tarantino has his foot thing. Maybe this guy's got a pee thing. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, actually, it, it's interesting. Like, um, I got a little bit of like a Tarantino vibe from this movie. Um, do you know when like his stuff was starting to get rolling? Like, like Res- Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Reservoir Dogs was probably this year. I like think ninety three, ninety two, yeah. around there. They're out there. Because I, I got a little bit of that vibe from this movie, where it has a little bit of, you know, angsty video store clerk kind of... The year before, it was 1992. It has a kind of like a kitchen sink vibe to it, is what I'm getting at. Where it's just like, I'm directing a movie. I've never, I never imagined I'd get to do this before, so I'm just going to throw everything at the wall and hope it works out. It didn't, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, maybe he has a thing about people peeing in the woods or something. Um he did actually go on record saying that he did uh, intentionally try to, I don't know, have some more male nudity. Um, oh, we do see the dude's hairy ass, yeah. Yeah, uh, there's a couple of scenes, actually. So, like, he did actually have that in mind. I'm not sure of the fella's sexual orientation, but apparently that was something that was on his mind when he was putting the movie together, was he was keenly aware that these movies were often thought of as being very sexist. I think you get uh, some Harvey Keitel dick in the piano, but we weren't really doing dicks at this time. It was kind of rare. It was just like, oh, that's a dick. (laughs) It's like, is that a dick? (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, that's more accurate. Usually it was shot at distance, or it was just like a frame of somebody rolling over or something. (laughs) The piano was 93, so there was dick in film at this point. Usually there was something tucked into something that (laughs) that makes it obscured and therefore difficult to discern exactly what you're looking at. Um, But yeah, they, they, they get to fucking in this tent, and she's like 10 feet away. It's a tent. Yeah. It's like, dude, could yeah. you not? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, or at least like on her part, just like, could you go further away or something? Like, that's really icky. Well, <laughs> like, I don't want, I don't want to be involved in that. First girl dies after peeing, and then this girl stops in the middle of their. They're about to get going. She's like, I have to go pee real quick. So she pees, comes back, and then she just gets stabbed in the heart. That was the it. fastest pee in all of history. It was. Well, like she, she like. She it's she just does like a dip like yeah. she just squats and then it's over dip and then yeah dip. yeah it, the, like what you you done it? Right. <laughs> I mean maybe she was pretending to have to pee or something because she did want a condom that's true yeah uh, which is again something that the director drew attention to as being like a sight gag that they wanted to put in there having Richard Gant step on the condom and then murder them of as, course as in like hey kids <laughs> like wear a rubber yeah don't don't use condoms kids practice abstinence. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but uh, actually, this this whole sequence, despite being mandated by the producers, was heavily edited. No, <laughs> so it's a complete and total clusterfuck. Where it's like, so you mean you you made me do reshoots just to do this, and then you made me cut it down. It's like, what the fuck do you want? And it's like, actually, it's kind of drawing parallels to like an Alien Three almost, where it's mm. like, I wonder how happy this guy was with the process of directing a film. It's David Fincher got jerked around and then some and these days he doesn't even like to put his name on alien 3 but um yeah uh, both of these kills were heavily censored there is an unrated cut of the movie that's like marginally longer it's like four minutes longer I not think. even it's like two yeah it's like two minutes longer and uh, it has a couple of snazzy gore effects that i really do appreciate and in particular the the tent kill is mm. really really good okay um, greg nicotero and uh can effects worked on uh worked on this film uh they're still doing good work to this day some of the foremost producers of gore effects uh, they've worked extensively with 
Quentin Tarantino over the years. Um, I think Nicotero started out as like a protege of Tom Savini, who, uh, who worked on the earliest iterations of the series. Um, but this tent kill is really cool, Kyle. Huh? Exactly. <laughs> you don't even get to see it in the theatrical version of the movie. Because uh, the uncut version... Um, Did you watch the uncut version? I've seen it before. Oh, okay. Um, the, the most commonly available version of the movie um, is the theatrical one. So Kyle doesn't have any clue what I'm talking about. Nope. Uh, major differences are just uh, the the gal that was hitting on Letterman jacket on Ted Raimi. Uh, we do get we do see her get slashed up a little bit. Okay. Um, normally, you just see her corpse uh, laying against a tree after the fact. Um, but the tent scene, apparently, these two actors were like a couple, um, and yep. they they broke up on the set like before they right, to... right before they had to do nude sex scenes together for multiple days of shooting because the effects were complicated of course <laughs> that must suck yeah. <laughs> um, but um so the, the way the kill goes down is she's on top of him and they're both in the throes of passion and whatnot and uh, richard gant sticks a road sign through her her back yeah. and out her chest out, like at the sternum um and in the uncut version you see it like pierce her and come out towards his face and splash blood on him but then he yanks it up and it actually rips up through her trap uh, i thought he threw her out of the tent but no that, no yeah. it like carves her in half she like splits down the middle okay and you see all of it it's pretty fucking cool it's like really well put together well, i'll take your word for it it's not in the movie no it's not <laughs> for for like 95 percent of the people who saw this movie didn't get to see that there's also no music in this movie like scenes just like we go from scene to scene to scene and there's like there's just no music it's really baffling too because uh harry manfredini uh did the you know the iconic franchise like theme the mm. k- 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 yeah and like all of the soundtrack like the entire soundscape for the entire franchise i think there was only one that he didn't show up for that was like jason takes manhattan but he came back for this one and it's terrible there's no kiki hahas in here I mean, there's a couple, but Jason's not in the movie, so what are, what are you going to accompany it? Like, you don't need that anywhere because there's no anticipation that he's going to show up until, you know, like you said, that it's bookended by him. But the, he, I don't know if he, like, traded in his, his orchestra for a Casio keyboard, but I the instrumentation you. is terrible. Like, it, it sounds so cheap, and just, just chintzy is the word that comes to mind. <laughs> Yeah, I think you got the factory setting Casio and a gun to his head, and they're just like, make a score. And it's like, this is all I've got. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, like, from a creative standpoint, it's like, how could you, how could you look at yourself in the mirror? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, because like, I will defend like his work on the previous films. Like, his his disco theme for part three? There's a disco is theme. Fu- it's a oh fucking banger. I'm going to play it for you before we're done, Kyle, because yeah, it, it's actually really good. I like, doubt it, it. It's a beat. Okay. As the kids say, it's a vibe. Yeah. And then, like, the, the main themes for all the other films, very, very good. Very solid compositions. I mean, that's part of the brand is is his music, because, as I said, he did the music for almost all of the movies, and it's generally very, very good. But in this, it sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, it sounds cheap and, and atonal and just garbage. Yeah. Sucks. Yeah. No, sir. I don't like it. So, um, so there's one lady, Di- Diner Diana, is what I've been calling her. Um, she's about to die soon, so don't worry. She's not much of a character. 
the coroner kills all these people, and then he goes to the diner, and he kills a lady, and then he takes the cop, and then he takes the cop to some house, is about to shave him, and then he just tongue kisses him, basically. He's transferring his Jason to this cop, for the sheriff, for some reason. Yeah, it's later explained that his human body, his vessels, uh, like, rot after a time, so he has to continually jump bodies be fun to see that so it would give us a reason i mean it's mentioned by duke later in the movie but it's in passing so it's like and you don't really see much evidence of it honestly like richard gant still looked pretty soft like he doesn't look like he's falling apart he looked, i mean he's if anything he looked a little well, the tv guy looks a little sleepy at one point yeah he's got some dark circles but he's also been shot like 500 times by then so it's like he has every excuse in the world to look a little rough who, that TV guy would have been a lot more fun if they would have had him been played by Jeffrey Combs. He looks like a Kennedy. <laughs> or, or a Bruce Greenwood, the man who plays Kennedy's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then there's Di- Diner Diana's got a daughter named Jessica. She's dating the dude from TV. Diner, Di- Diner Diana's daughter, Jessica, has a child. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Diner Diana shoots Sheriff. So the Sheriff just comes to Diana's house, attacks her for some fucking reason. Yeah, so, oh yeah, by the way, the, um, the, the cop that uh, Richard Gant has a smooch with, mm-hmm. um, the way his, his lady friend gets it is, is kind of... I, I didn't even see it. It's so fast, it's like, it literally is a blink and you'll miss it. So, like, Richard Gant's, like, snooping on, on Diana, he's, like, casing the diner from the bushes, and, like, he doesn't make a move on her, but uh, he makes a move on the cop and his lady friend after they finish talking, and he just like runs out of the bushes and he he shuts the car door oh, that's what it was, on yeah. her temple. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's just like a, a rubber balloon that goes <laughs> it, looks, it looks utterly unconvincing. Um it looks almost kind of funny <laughs> to be honest. Um but yeah, uh, the cop shows up at Diana's house when she's on the phone with her daughter. Mm-hmm. Um they have like a I don't know, a little scrap. And then Steven does what he does throughout this entire movie and just like appears yeah. and starts throwing hands at people like he, this, this he's his like his aesthetic is very confusing because he's got the coke bottle glasses which makes you think nerd he's perpetually clothed in a letterman's jacket so you think jock he looks like he's about 35 yeah <laughs> it's like, what is this person and on top of that he's constantly getting in fights with people it's like what is this guy's reputation oh yeah and he had a kid like out of wedlock and nobody even knows the kid exists i didn't even catch that okay he's he's jessica's baby he's the dad oh he's the dad of jessica's baby yeah oh my god and then she skipped town and apparently was ashamed or the way she phrases it is like he got scared and then she left town okay so everybody fucked up <laughs> so he's he's the town fuck up i guess yeah, so he, he kind of saves the day a little bit, but not really, because the sheriff stabs uh, Diner Diana, and then... Yeah, he throws, like, a knife sharpener in her back. Yeah, that gets her. Uh, <laughs> that'll, that'll kill you. And then somehow he's thrown... The, the sheriff's thrown out the window, and then he disappears when the cops get there, so the cops have to arrest Steve, and then he has to share a jail... Or he has to, he's in the cell next to Creighton. Yeah, he, he Michael Myers is out of there. He falls out the window and disappears. Okay, so why does... Hang on a sec. Here we go. So, this was a, a weird scene. They take the baby to the red-haired lady. Uh, she's going to babysit, apparently. So, Jessica comes over. She's like, here, take my baby. i got to go do some stuff. And she gives it to the to the, one of the uh, waitresses. 
And the diner lady, uh, her, her name's Rusty. <laughs> What's her name? The actress's name. Oh, yeah, she's actually very funny. I've seen her in other things. Yeah, she's, she's in she's, other stuff. Like she's actually is like one of the more enjoyable parts of the movie. You can tell she's just kind of. Oh no, she's apparently it was like most of her scenes were improvised. And, yeah. yeah, no, you can tell she is just bebopping and scatting through her entire scenes. She starts yelling at her. She's like, "Get that baby out of here! This isn't a daycare." And then she gets a phone call. She's like. All right, we're going to take care of the baby. Get a box in the back. <laughs> what? Yeah, she, she's made up to look like a, I don't know, a character from like a John Waters movie Yeah, or very much. That's what I was thinking too, yeah. Or a Far Side cartoon. Yeah, and she's really dialing up her Ohio. Oh, like, oh yeah, she's really, or yeah. not Ohio, but her, yeah. yeah her she, she's really dialing up her Ohio, for sure. So why is Duke, I was not paying attention. <laughs> why, why was Duke pestering uh, the nerd and then breaking his fingers? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> um, I I have to assume the uh, yeah I don't have an explanation for you, Kyle. So I'm okay. I'm trying my best to, <laughs> to defend the film's logic, but Duke Duke oh. wants he he needs to get in contact with Jessica. Stephen knocked up Jessica mm-hmm. and is the father of her baby, and now that Diner Diana is dead. By Winston Duke's logic, of which we have... This is a Jason movie, by the way. I know, I know. (laughs) I shouldn't be struggling for fucking answers and trying to solve mysteries. Creighton kind of, like, sold himself as, like, a Quint, where he was like, give me, like, $50,000 or $500,000 and I'm gonna catch Jason or whatever. But he's already been caught, so it doesn't make any sense why he's in the movie. Yeah, he got blown up in the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he witnesses the explosion and says, "I don't think so." Yeah, you guys pay me five hundred thousand dollars. I'll make sure he's really dead. And like, well, why the fuck would we do that? It's like last I checked, he was blown the fuck up. Um, yeah, so apparently he's privy to certain details that no one else on the planet are. Okay, uh, he's he's jumping to a lot of conclusions, all of which happen to be exactly correct. Yeah, <laughs> um, but. At the very beginning of the movie, we have this long sequence where I was re- referring to him as American Case File. Yeah. His name is Robert. I was calling him American Case File <laughs> throughout the entire movie. Um, he does like a Robocop thing where he's doing like a news anchor routine. And then we cut to five minutes of exposition, like an interview between him and Creighton Duke, explaining this whole theory he has. Quote, theory. Theory about Jason being a spirit that possesses other bodies and uh, apparently he's like Emperor Palpatine in that we've never seen the real Jason before. Oh my god. <laughs> it's like all the other ones were just shells. <laughs> it's like that ain't the real Jason. It's like oh so you mean actually that's that's getting to some comic book shit. That's some Spider-Man clone clone saga shit there where it's like you mean the Spider-Man I've been reading since the 60s isn't the real Spider-Man? Do you know what that do you know how that feels as a fan who cares about these things? Like fuck off. Uh, but yeah, so Creighton Duke again, working from theory, <laughs> assumes that Jason has surviving family members. And I think the phrase is in a Voorhees, was he born? Oh my God. Through a Voorhees, will he be reborn? And only by the hands of a Voorhees will he die. He made that up. Okay. That's not written in a book anywhere. He made that up, and it's all correct. Um, so, 
basically he needs Jessica, and I guess he's viewing Steven as a way, as a means to get to Jessica. So I guess he broke the nerd's fingers so that he could get out and try to escape. Well, I mean, if we if we're being a hundred percent like accurate with with tracking this master plan of his he enters the town yeah and the first thing he does is gets arrested like the joker yeah yeah yeah, he planned to be arrested it was like it's like just we see like a a fat guy being wheeled into (laughs) this police station in the background (laughs) i was picturing him no picturing uh uh creighton duke in the back of a police car shaking his head like a dog (laughs) No, I was picturing a fat guy being wheeled into the one of the other holding cells of the police station, and then he has not not like a rectangular cell phone bump in there. This was 1993, yeah, so, so he, has a like... car, he has a car battery fastened. <laughs> it's a Gordon Gecko on the beach <laughs> that phone that he's got. Like, what the fuck is under his skin? It's a fucking car battery yeah. sticking out under his skin. Or what Murtaugh is using to call. That was the that was the first time I ever saw a mobile phone from that era. Yeah. It was, was Lethal Weapon. So, yeah, the nerd escapes, uh, I guess. And not it, after having most of his fingers on his left hand broken. Uh, oh, he made your pains this like I'm going <laughs> to... You might feel a little bit of pressure and just snaps it. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny too. It's funny too, considering like how much physicality this Stephen guy gets into later in the yeah. film. It's like, yeah, you're not doing that. Not not with that many broken fingers. <laughs> like, but yeah, I, this this whole scene from an acting standpoint was probably fun. It has no reason for being here other than like to allow the performers some wiggle room to have some fun with it, with the very limited material. But yeah, basically the finger breaking happens as like a, a game that Creighton Duke just for for funsies I guess comes up with where he's like I'm gonna tell you a little bit about what I know but I gotta break some fingers every time <laughs> and also I guess it's supposed to be like a test of Steven's commitment which in a better movie with a tighter script is supposed to be his arc is that it's it's a throwaway line but remember he had the kid and then he quote got scared or flipped out or something so I guess like him committing to the I'm, cause or the family or whatever is supposed to be symbolic of an arc for him n- not because I don't care about what you're saying <laughs> but I'm not listening to what you're saying I'm just waiting for you to like to my ears are just like okay I think he's finished his point now <laughs> I'm letting you get it for the listeners this is not for me this is for no, this, this is for you listener this is, this is not a conversation between two people <laughs> This is just kind of happening. This is, this is Trevor trying his best. To... I mean, hats off if you if you got all that from that. Hey, back. I went to a liberal arts school. I can I can talk bullshit all day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he does. So the nerd does go to the Voorhees house, and then I couldn't. I'm like, when he got to the house, I'm like, what what fucking house is this? It looks like it's in the southwest because <laughs> it's like. Because the driveway's all shitty. I'm like, is this the Voorhees? I'm, I'm like, it could only be the Voorhees house. I'm like, it's where it has to be. Um, we do get the uh, Evil Dead book is on the uh, counter. Yeah, the Necronomicon yeah. is on the counter. And we can't just have it there. He has to, he has to open it. He has, to, he has to touch it. He, has, he, has, he, has, he can't not touch. He has to flip through it. And it's like, dude, can it just... If it has to be there, like, has to be there, can we just... Dude, leave it alone. The first, just, just do this. Do, do me this favor. Just watch the first episode of Ash vs. the Evil Dead. I want to. Just, it's thirty minutes long. You can get, it, you can get in and get out really quickly. But 
how evil comes back is just wow. Okay. It's so good. I'll, I'll have it's, to see if the girlfriend uh, wants to check it out because I I think she'd have fun with it. I think, although she tends to want to like her characters oh, and ash, ash might piss her off oh no he's so affable okay. Even, okay that that's the selling point if if ash works for her then i can get her to watch that with me yeah it he's a uh, it's ash he's it's even if she doesn't like the character ash it's still bruce campbell like he's so affable bruce campbell's great he's great um <laughs> yeah so this is where we learn the tv guy the tv guy comes in and he's on the phone yeah. uh, by the way the Voorhees house again has never been a thing. I didn't think it had been. No, or, or it's, it's, a, it's never been a thing. If it's if it has been a thing, it's been like a shitty rundown thing that hasn't been lived in since the eighties. It's not the fucking Myers house. Like no. like that actually is a part of the story. Like no. the Myers house is like ooh, bad shit happened in the Myers house. Yeah, that like, makes sense. Yeah, you know that that's a thing in the Halloween series. And, and Jason, it's just it's camp. Crystal Lake. Like, just Crystal don't Lake. go to the fucking lake. Like, if you don't go to the lake, you'll be fine. Like, yeah. unless you're playing music on your boombox in Manhattan, and he just happens to hitch a boat ride to, <laughs> to New York. Yes, uh, the TV guy is like, I don't know if he's trying to drum up a story or something like that, but he's on the phone. So he's like, "Yeah, so I dug up Diana's body, brought it to the house, and then I banged his daughter, banged her daughter last night." And I'm like, "Okay." So, folks at home, you can't see this, but Kyle is making Ellis's face from Die Hard as he's saying this. <laughs> He's basically Ellis, yeah. just without the coke habit. Yeah, yeah. I use a fountain pen. Uh, <laughs> Jason, booby. <laughs> I'm your white knight. Oh man, yeah. So then the sheriff comes in and tongues the TV guy. So now the TV guy, who he takes on, he takes on the Jason uh, persona for quite a while for the for the re- remainder, the yeah. remainder of the film, essentially. So we've had. A few different hosts here, but um, wow, we got some effects work. Dude, this is the best part of the entire movie. Please, is the sheriff's body melting? They spent time on this, yes. and I appreciate what they did with this. Yeah, uh, as I said, that the director and a lot of the actors have, you know, made it known that yeah, they they know they made a movie that's divisive. They know a lot of the super fans of Jason in particular, not necessarily the franchise, but the Jason character are very displeased with how they handle things. But, interviews with Greg Nicotero and K&B Effects Group, they sounded like they had a blast on this movie. I could see that. Like, they sounded like they were very proud, and they were very happy with how the director allowed them to just go nuts. So, oh. like, from their standpoint, it's all gold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were just in a shed somewhere with a gravity bong, just going to town, working on this thing. <laughs> like... Yeah. yeah, you're right with that you just, effect. <laughs> you just hear fucking Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix on a loop and just hear coughing constantly. Like, oh, they were busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, were, they had a good time with this. Because this is, I don't even want to, like, the, it's the only thing worth, only thing worth seeing in this movie, I would say, is this sequence. Because it, not only, it's like, it's multiple. Like we actually see it melting through, and it's clearly different things that they've added. It's not just yeah. one piece of person. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's it's done really. Yeah, well. there's there's layers to it. Uh, it's kind of strangely edited. Like it's not especially well choreographed. Like it doesn't look like it was all that well planned, honestly. But all the effects on display are very very solid. They clearly had a lot of love put into them. Um, but yeah, this this shows, I guess, that that whenever the the spirit gets passed between bodies the uh, the one that gives out 
falls apart in this fashion. So we get yeah. to see this cop dude melt into a puddle of goo, essentially. His jaw falls off at one yeah. point. It's pretty tasty. Bleh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly where that yeah, comes yeah. from. Beetlejuice. Yeah, I was going to say, if the, somebody... Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty convincing effect. I liked it quite a bit. Um, clearly, they... It has it contributes nothing to the film. Like this is what you call whimsy. Like like this is here just for whimsy, just just for fun. Yeah, no, yeah. it's. Uh, I'm glad they put it. Thank God they put it in here. Yeah, it woke Kyle up for two seconds. Two seconds. Yeah, but no, the next part, <laughs> the next part is just Jessica having a shower cry, <laughs> and then lights out. Uh, and then the nerd saves Jessica from the TV guy. Yeah, uh, actually, I may have to uh, make a gif of this sequence. Because the the blocking of this was fucking hilarious. Um, so basically, it's a TV guy is like manhandling Jessica, and she's like in a bathrobe and stuff or a towel. And then Steven just appears in the doorway in the background of the shot, and just like runs directly towards the camera and throws like the clumsiest right cross you've ever seen. Hard cut. They're outside. <laughs> it's just, it's so clumsy. Like it it barely works, but. I don't know. Something about the timing of it made me laugh, but um, they run over TV guy a couple times. That was kind of fun. Um, I did like that. Although the conversation they have in the car afterwards is a little, uh, a little strained, a little labored. Yeah, it is. I don't even know what the it's. She's like, so he like ran over him, and she's like, "What did you do that for?" And he's like, "Well, why wouldn't I?" Well, she was she was boinking TV guy. So, you know, she's yeah. probably a little upset that the dude just tried to choke her out and then got run over, like, three times. So I could see her being upset about that. But, like, Steve has this whole thing about, like, I won't run away this time. And then it seems like she's coming around, like, oh, maybe maybe we and Steve can work, even though I'm kind of in the middle of my mom dying and, you know, sleeping with that other guy who just tried to kill me, <laughs> who I think is now dead and killed by the man that I'm in the car with. Uh, so she beats him up and kicks him out of the car. Um, yeah, she, I did like how she just 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 kicks him right out. Yeah, of she's not having any of it. She's like, no, get out. <laughs> that was kind of cute. But she heads back to the police station, and uh, I think we get a Halloween reference here because she tells the cops where Steve is, and she says, "Past the Myers place." Oh, so I like, I yeah, it's, it's, I'm yeah. I'm reaching, Kyle. I'm trying. <laughs> this is I mean, this is this is kind of Terminator where he just like comes through and just starts just murking cops. For the yeah, most the part. next twenty minutes of the movie or so is basically yeah. Terminator. Yeah, like like I mean, the whole sequence in the in a police station. It's yeah. basically the scene from Terminator, and that's kind of what I was driving at with this kind of having almost like a Tarantino vibe to it. Not not in that it feels like a Tarantino movie, but it had that early Tarantino vibe of like. I've seen a lot of other movies that the, I'm, I would like to realize myself on film. So mm-hmm. I will kind of explicitly homage and reference the things that I like, and hopefully it'll result in a cohesive product that other people will enjoy. Have you seen Tarantino's, it's in a movie, so I don't know what movie it's in, but his his explanation of Top Gun? Yes. Oh my god, it's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> no, it, it's it's very uh, it's very on point. Like that That's kind of the brand I'm getting at. It's like, this 1993, around this era, like... Tarantino's rise and the Kevin Smith rise all at the same time. This was the coffee talk era of movies where we were starting to get that crowd actually getting employment in in film and you started to have those that kind of vibe find its way into films and stuff. Um but yeah, we get some chaos in the police station. Then we crazy diner lady is holding uh Jessica's baby hostage because (laughs) she's hanging out with uh Steve. 
Steven. Steve. Actually, he looks like Steve from Sex and the City, who also wears glasses and is kind of a nerd. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the whole sequence in the diner had me laughing because, again, I can't... I, for, for some reason, I'm really fixated on this at the moment, but the slow motion. Um, as soon as TV guy shows up, um, first, we, we do get a pretty cool effect of a dude... Like a compound fracture. A compound fracture, yeah. yeah. I, like, put it in his neck? No? Okay, fine. I mean, yeah. Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw's the winner. Yeah. Uh, that, they put it in the neck. Yeah, put it in the neck. Like, if, you, if you're going to do that, yeah. next step. There is an additional step. Now we know that. Um, by the way, that guy made me think of a bulk from Power Rangers. <laughs> he <laughs> so, did. He very similar much Similar build, like same haircut. <laughs> yeah, he had the same waddle. Yeah, <laughs> but I think the character's name is Ward, but uh, he works at the diner. But the, the whole sequence in the diner, it's basically a TV guy kicks the door down, and then everybody in the room has guns, Yeah, and it's shot in extreme slow motion. And I was like, oh, this guy's seen a better tomorrow. Like, <laughs> like this guy's seen a John Woo film. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm pretty sure that's what we're doing here, because it's absurd. It has no place being here. But it I, goes on and on and on. I didn't catch the reference. I just thought it was stupid uh, as I was watching it. So I'm like, I didn't catch. I didn't know there was a reference there. Uh, it may not be, but that's how I interpreted it. Just because of the timing. Because this was around the time that, again, guys like Tarantino were making movies. And guys like him really, really liked John Woo and stuff like that. What was your favorite kill from this sequence? From this sequence? Because um, it's almost the same thing that happened in the, in the uh, police station. Except now it's happening in this diner. Yeah, so, I mean, there's there's the Joey B kill where she gets her mouth punched in. Which, that was good. That's fun because she's been mouthy throughout the entire movie. By the way, she has that really awesome improvised line of, like, nobody's going to touch that fucking piece of, like, uh, like, ray of sunshine. That ray of sunshine, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. apparently in the script it was just baby. Just like, nobody's going to touch that fucking ray of sunshine. That was pretty good. <laughs> the tone she hits is perfect. I really liked her. She's great. Um, but yeah, her having her mouth punched in—it's—it's it's not a convincing effect, but it's goofy in a fun way. Yeah. Plus, again, she's been yakety yakking throughout the whole movie, so it's very appropriate. I did like how her dude goes down—the head in the fryer. Oh yeah, that, that I did not like that. I wanted—I wanted more. I—I uh, I needed just a little bit more because you've seen Jason X, yeah. uh, one of the most famous, like one of the better appraised kills in the whole—the whole franchise is the head in the ice bath. Um, and part of why it's so great is that it, it, it's multiple stages where he, he grabs her, he puts her head in the ice bath, we see it freeze in front of the camera, he pulls her up, we get a nice close-up of the frozen head, and then BAM! Onto the counter. Would we say that's a Halloween 2 reference? Or is that just well, that's just a wholly different thing? Because we do get the lady getting her face boiled in Halloween 2. I would say that's a better version of, mm-hmm. of this. A uh, homage, this, maybe. I would say that's a just a better execution of a similar idea. Cronenberg has a cameo in that movie, Jason X. Yes, he does, in the opening. Yeah. Uh, in, in the early timeline stuff, before he gets a cryo-frozen. For some reason, I think he looks like the guy who, the current, David, David Miscavige, the Scientology guy. I feel like they look very oh, similar. Cronenberg's yeah. a really interesting fellow. By the way, his... his uh, his newest movie is apparently doing very, very well. I started to watch Possessor. and Oh, they, that's his kid. Yeah, I yeah, started to watch Possessor. I, I haven't seen that. I heard it's great. I started watching it, and then my buddy's like, hey, we're getting drinks up by your neighborhood. Do you want to come out? I'm like, well, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh, Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast thought it was pretty good. I, I was really hyped for that when it came out, but... Uh, 
I, I have this really bad habit of being hyped for things and then not seeing them for five years. Yep, that's me. I'm with that with Possessor, yeah. And yeah, that, that's happening with me and Possessor, but I really still do want to see that. But uh, Crimes of the Future. Um, I almost went to the theater to watch it because it's getting such high praise. I looked it up showtimes. I'm like, I might just go watch this. I mean, I'm seeing, I've seen Magnum Opus tossed around, and it's like, but that's how I pray. The, the, the problem is, is that Men is still playing in the theater. I'm like, well, I'm gonna go to the theater. I'm gonna go watch Men. Oh, Brad actually did a review for that on the Cinema Speak like well, just uh, last week. I how did he? I'm not, I can't listen to it. How did he? What was his? What were his thoughts? Okay, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not. I don't. I don't recall if it was like a glowing recommendation. But I, here, maybe I can pull it up on the letterbox. But okay. you're, you're gonna have to riff as I as I look this up. Are you okay. comfortable with that? Crowd? Yeah, I can riff can for you a little bit. The heat? Yeah, I got it. All right, I move things way faster. So, uh, so yeah, we we're in the diner. We've done that shit, and then Duke basically is now Duke kidnaps the baby. Now Jessica cannot get her baby back because the diner lady, uh, the diner lady takes. The baby was not going to give her back. Now Duke is like, nah, I'm taking the baby now. And he takes her to the Voorhees house. Um, and th- this is the sequence where we learn that, uh, at least I learned, that only a Voorhees can kill a Voorhees with this crazy fucking rapier that I have. By the way, uh, apparently that prop is from Evil Dead 2. Is it really? Yeah. I just watched, I just, you know, I remember I said Army of Darkness is my least favorite. I just rewatched it and god damn it, it's really good still. I like it. Uh, in the same way that I appreciate, not necessarily like, but appreciate the Lord of the Rings films. Okay. In that it's a kitchen sink of every effect you can imagine. Yeah. Like any any effects, it's technology that you can imagine is in that movie in some way. For some reason, it reminds me a little bit of like a Monty Python thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. It's just kind of it's the dark hu- like the the humor in it just kind of reminds me of something Monty Python. Yeah, would do. a lot a lot of people regard that as the least of the series. I, I wouldn't argue that, but yeah. I will say that it was one of the earliest ones I saw, and it was one that I enjoyed when I was young. I just want to distinguish it from this, because I think that this is the worst horror movie I've ever seen. Jesus. Uh, so, and I would say it's probably, I don't think I'm going to get a lot of pushback on this. This is probably the worst in the franchise. Um, probably most people's least favorite as far as the movies in the franchise. Yeah, I might as well. I'm going to crack mine, too. Miller time. Miller time. LaCroix time. Uh, passion fruit, in case you were wondering. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. But no, like, uh, the Army of Darkness, it's, it's my least favorite, but it's still enjoyable. This is probably most people's least favorite of this franchise and it sucks ass that's actually a really important point to bring up that's what i want to distinguish yeah yeah that that is actually important to distinguish because you know every franchise is going to have a low point but that is a difference maker that's how you know you have like a really well-rounded series is if even the worst of it is acceptable Mm -hmm. like indiana jones for instance i mean before before Crystal Skull, <laughs> when it, when Temp- when Temple of Doom was often thought of as like kind of the dip in the series, that's still a great film. Um, and Friday the Thirteenth, yeah, this this one, I, I I'm leaning towards calling it the worst that the whole thing has to offer. Um, I at this point, at this very moment, I can think of no other movie in the series that I would dread more <laughs> in having to rewatch all the other ones I, I in my head anyway I picture them as being pretty pretty okay like like not offensive in any way just kind of like you know pretty consistent in their crappiness <laughs> okay so there's four like four or three main things that are gonna basically end this film and we can we can talk about them, but I'm just gonna point them out real quick 
Demon crawls out of cop's neck. WWF match. Freddy versus Jason setup. That's pretty much what I got for the rest of this film. Uh, yeah. So, um, Creighton Duke has a confrontation with Jessica. Yes. Um, so he took her baby, and uh, Stephen is continually a few steps behind her. So he's, he chases her to the Voorhees house. By the way, uh, the redhead, uh, Vicky, um, her death was censored in the uh, theatrical version. She gets impaled in the theatrical version. Okay. <clears throat> um, but she also gets her head exploded in the uncut version, which is kind of tasty. But um, anyway, yeah, they, they're at the Voorhees house, and Creighton Duke has this whole spiel where he tells jessica what he had told steven before about like only a Voorhees, and by the way you're a Voorhees. <laughs> yeah he's <laughs> like are, are we clear on that because i don't think you knew that just so we're clear oh yeah and your baby's a Voorhees too <laughs> um he throws a knife at her like a, yeah. a trench knife and she catches it and it transforms into a prop from evil dead which is like a i don't know like a ornamental knife of some sort um and apparently it, like using this knife she can somehow kill jason but the cops show up um she thinks the sheriff is the possessed jason turns out it's not um but she stabs him so that makes you a murderer uh so she she killed a guy um (laughs) who seemed like he was like boinking her mom by the way so that's that's icky yeah um but then uh deputy randy uh, who has been very uh supportive of steven throughout the whole movie he runs in and turns out he's the jason uh, he tries to like attack Jessica and do the the worm mouth thing to her so he can be reborn as Jason proper or something. Uh, Steven bamps into the room and uh, lops Randy's head off with a machete. Yeah, very uh, very uh, okay effect. Uh, it's kind of reminiscent of uh, uh, the thing John Carpenter's the thing when the head comes off and the looks like not quite like kind of like al dente top ramen comes mm-hmm. out his neck hole yeah <laughs> that's exactly what i thought too yeah that was like top ramen um but yeah the uh, like an approximation of the hell worm from the cover art comes out of his neck hole mm-hmm. but it's got like limbs so it's kind of like a lizardy kind of hell critter it's got no feet it's like that monster from uh from king kong king yes of the monsters. yeah yeah the the with skull skull crawlers yeah yeah as john c riley calls them i think yeah. they're called skull crawlers but yeah it, it it's built like that where it's got two limbs and a, a long tail thing uh, but it like makes a run at them and like steven chucks it down into the basement and then we have a scene that uh this actress was deeply upset about <laughs> uh, deeply like she was really pissed about this because she wasn't told because uh, it was like a proper body double that stood in for her mm. um so the critter falls down into the basement and then uh, Diner Diana's body, she's been long dead, is down there. And uh, in the uncut version, we have a shot, like a top-down shot of it running up her skirt. Oh. Yeah, with her legs. (laughs) Oh, she didn't know that was going to happen? No. Uh, In the theatrical version, it's just a POV. It's still bad. It's it's much worse in the uncut version. It's still bad in the theatrical version. It's just a, a POV shot runs, again, between her legs. And then we cut to upstairs. Uh, so yeah, this thing—it's not classy, but I've definitely heard worse. It's basically, basically, you know, this—is this the second time we've had necrophilia on this podcast? Yeah, probably won't be the last. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, th- this is how Jason is reborn uh, because we have a comedy line of Stephen asking Creighton Duke, like, through a Voorhees, will he be reborn? Does does oh. said Voorhees have to be alive? 
And, yeah, uh, I didn't catch that part. I don't think there's a verbal response to that, but the house starts shaking, and it's like, yeah, and that's, that, that's exactly... <laughs> yeah, because he's back! He's the man behind the mask! It's a fucking Alice Cooper song they used oh. for one of the movies. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, yeah, then we just get like a WWF match. This is the most boring shit ever. It's literally just Jason and Steven just kind of like... This push. is a hardcore match. Yeah. Like, where's Hardcore Holly? Where's Mankind? Like, <laughs> like there's not even a bucket or a kendo stick? No. <laughs> or a fluorescent light tube or anything? No, it's just garden tools in the front yard. Yeah, uh, and then I have a note written down here, and it's a Game of Thrones reference, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to say it now because oh. like, you haven't seen it. Oh. Um, but yeah... What ends up happening is Jessica ends up getting the, the, the rapier or dagger or whatever. This It's like it's not a sword. It's not quite a knife. It's like right in between. It's more handle than knife. Yeah. It really is more <laughs> handle than knife. Uh, she ends up jumping on his back and just perfectly stabbing it in his heart. And then he starts shooting off like lightning bolts or something out of his face. Yeah. So when Richard Gant initially ate the, the heart. Um, by the way, that sequence is so laughable because like the camera's swirling around Richard Gant who's covered in black goop and he's roaring yeah like, oh, I, I, I was like is it an elephant and a lion mixed together no he's making the noise Carl Weathers makes in Predator when he gets <laughs> stabbed <laughs> <laughs> it's that on repeat for about two minutes yeah that, that yo I, I know that y'all and then a whole bunch of like these these uh orange sperm lights fly into his chest and, yeah. uh, to disguise the flash bulbs that he has under his shirt. Yeah. Like, it, they, they time it, the animation. But they do the reverse of that when Jason gets stabbed. But by the way, Creighton Duke, despite all his hype, despite all his bluster, has one of the shittiest deaths maybe in franchise history. How does he even get it? I don't even remember. Exactly. He gets bear-hugged. Ugh. And it's not even a juicy bear-hug. He, like, he doesn't. Me. He doesn't spit anything up. We don't see, like... Like I think it was a, uh, I think it was part six, where like a dude gets folded over, mm-hmm. and it's it's like ooh yeah. that that guy's head is now at his heels like that's not where your head's supposed to be not not when you look like John Carpenter and you're probably in your late fifties or something like you're not limber enough in that way, um, like if they had done something like that where like he gets like bent over like down the middle or something like folded like a piece of laundry yeah. Yeah, I could get behind that, but no. He just, he just give, Kane Hodder just give him the big old hug, and he just expires. Ugh. That's it. That's it. <laughs> no blood, no gore, no, nothing. Yeah. But yeah, Jessica kills him, and then they're just kind of, they literally just walk off into the sunset. Yeah, it, it's funny. They had kind of like a, what is it? They had a snafu with the effects work here, where um, the way Jason makes his exit here, like they have this like pillar of light go like over him and like this this there's like this matte matte effect to like blacken the sky and stuff and there's a storm and then these like stone hands come up from the ground to like pull him down um apparently this was supposed to be done with like miniatures um and and puppets Mm. um but they couldn't get the look right or they ran out of time or something so they built the props couldn't get couldn't get to work so they had to do the next best thing and just shoot around it so it looks a little bit clumsy I do like the pillar of light effect. That is pretty neat. Um, but yeah, this all kind of comes out of nowhere and is deeply unsatisfying. <laughs> it's like so some some nerd and some gal that we've had on screen for like five minutes just win. Yeah. And by the way, Kane Hodder is wearing the Jason costume in this, and he's doing the best with what he's got. And uh, he 
beats the fuck out of Steve for like so- several minutes. It's like, dude, in movies prior, like in the previous movie, he punches a dude's head off in just one shot. <laughs> like this shouldn't this shouldn't be such a chore. Right? Like it shouldn't be a wrestling match. This should be pretty easy work for him. But no, it's like stretched out into what essentially is kind of like a wrestling match, as Kyle said. It, it, kind of an unwarranted wrestling match. It's deeply unsatisfying. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to just... Uh, I guess we will finish with the last thing that I was going to read. Uh, a, a 10 out of 10 user review. No, right, real quick. Yeah. Uh, the tease for uh, the Freddy versus Jason that would take another 10 years. <laughs> uh, so Jason does get pulled down into hell. Oh, that's what I was going to say. We got to do this oh, last thing. Yeah. yeah. Go um, ahead, sorry. So he, he gets pulled down into hell, and then the final shot of the movie after our heroes have walked off into the sunset um is a a knife handed claw like a, a yeah a freddy krueger hand comes yeah. out of the ground and grabs the hockey mask which is on the surface of the dirt and pulls it under not all the way though you can still see part of the mask like sticking out it's like couldn't do another take of that <laughs> this but, I mean, um this is how you get word of mouth amongst the nerds it's like did you see the new jason oh it sucks but you have to go watch it you have to go see that last scene i can't tell you what it is you just have to go see it yeah this made a lot of people very happy yeah. like like all the super fans were delighted the the studio new line like the, the house that freddie built as they often call it they were excited like they were like this apparently was proposed to them and they were like sure you have our blessing by all means hinted a crossover that'll get people talking maybe yeah. maybe they'll maybe they'll come to this movie <laughs> apparently this movie did all right like from a financial standpoint this movie did just fine uh, apparently the one before it did not really so this actually did quite well for the save the franchise basically <laughs> i mean like the franchise would go into hibernation immediately after yeah. this but i i think most of the money came from uh rentals and and video purchases oh yeah this is definitely a vhs that you'd want to buy yeah i, I don't know what the theatrical take was but i think it did very handsomely on video um but yeah uh fun trivia factoid is that Kane Hodder apparently holds the the distinction of being the only actor to ever play both Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees because the plot yeah. hand is Kane Hodder. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that is kind of cool to have on your resume. It's like, yeah, it was Freddy Krueger. Yeah. <laughs> Robert England's pissed. Uh, so I, we de- I definitely got found, like, found myself in a rabbit hole of looking at what I'm assuming were trolls. Um, rating uh, what was that Dragon Ball Z whatever it was oh Dragon Ball Evolution there you go yeah Kyle had a moment where he like I don't know dissociated like he just his mind escaped his body and like he had he had to find some way to still keep engaged with the conversation so he hit the IMDB and found us some gems I will be honest yeah so this one uh, this is a 10 out of 10 it says great this is from The Creeper this is December 2nd 2001 so this is I'm I think this might not be a troll. I mean, yeah. this is old enough. Although this film gets a little too sci-fi, it has one, high body count, two, good-looking teenagers, three, an unbeatable Jason Voorhees, and four, gore and violence. What more could you ask for? Nothing, in my opinion. Also, this film has much better acting, special effects, sound quality, and picture quality. Good to rent. Good to rent. Yeah, right? Yeah, good, good to rent when you're 12. Possibly the best of the series. Not that that says a whole lot, but the movie is a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> That's October thirteenth, two thousand one, and they've written a novel of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't need that. I'm not. But, I'm not doing that. But the best of the franchise. Yeah, no that that might be a that might be an early troll. I mean, that, that's like 
have you seen the other movie? <laughs> yeah, that was either a, an 11 year old who rented it and had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah, or that's a troll. And yeah, it's like even even the kills and stuff are I don't know. There's there's like a, a lack of grandeur behind a lot of them. Like they aren't showcased well. No. Like the effects as just as effects are well done because they're done by good people. Mm-hmm. But the movie isn't the best at like putting them on full display and making no. a spectacle of them. In fact, like part of the problem with that Terminator segment of the movie where like the TV guy standing in for Jason is plowing through people is that he dispatches everybody too fucking fast. Mm. And there's a lot of lame kills interspersed throughout that. Like, we, like there's a lady cop who gets like, <laughs> she gets her head smashed into a locker, like, like a nerd in, in school or something. And there's just like, like, like a little ketchup squirt of blood on the wall. Yeah. And it's like, is she dead? <laughs> nah, you're fine. It's like, dude, I had that happen to me like, like many times. Like, I'm, I'm fine. I was just walking down the hall and that happened. <laughs> it's like, that's a really fragile cop lady. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this movie sucks. It's awful. This movie does suck. I, I, I wish it didn't, but I'm glad that, you know, this franchise has legs to the point that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, like we've we've moved on. This movie's a footnote in the, in the whole thing. It's a a rare deviation from the standard format of these movies so i i guess like a little bit of a tip of the cap to them for you know trying something different but i I do not think anybody asked for it like not not jason like like halloween it's like it's expected that we're going to take some swerves the storytelling the characterization is much more important to how to the core functionality of the halloween franchise not jason like like We've had a couple of characters that have been in multiple movies, like Tommy Jarvis, Corey Feldman. <laughs> um, like, in fact, apparently he was supposed to be in this movie in early drafts of it. The Tommy Jarvis character is kind of like the closest thing we have to like a Laurie Strode or something. Mm-hmm. But in general, like keep it keep it simple. Stupid is it, keyword stupid <laughs> is, is the way you do a Friday the Thirteenth. Um, and actually, I, I you know. After we've had this conversation, it doesn't make me ever want to watch this movie again, um, but it does actually make me, you know, kind of in the mood to put on some of the ones I do like. Yeah. Because it, as, through this conversation, I've realized, shit, I know these movies pretty well. Like, I, I apparently like these movies, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it does harm me on some level to, to, to watch this one and see what they kind of did with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was uh, Jason Goes to Hell colon the final friday mm-hmm. lies all lies <laughs> lies all of it's a lie <laughs> i mean i guess you could argue he does go to hell but it's by no means i didn't the final see friday. it yeah i didn't see it I, I saw a mask get pulled down i don't know where it went <laughs> it could just be in the dirt yeah anyway um but yeah no, it is not the final friday it's from 1993 directed by adam marcus um and yeah, folks at home, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Twitter, at Catching Cinema, as well as the Instagram, at Catching Up on Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. And the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. Google it. That being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Uh-huh.